California Energy Markets is the premier source of independent news and information on the electric and natural gas sectors in California and the Southwest. Published weekly by NewsData since 1989, California Energy Markets covers energy policy, resources, markets, infrastructure, and other vital topics. Thousands of energy professionals rely on CEM to help them better understand and navigate these dynamic energy times. Visit newsdata.com to find out why and start your subscription today. Again, that's newsdata, one word, dot com. Welcome to Newsdata's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with Newsdata's Clearing Up, and back with me, unearthed from his snow cave. And the mountains of California is my co-host and the editor of Newsday is California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of our top stories that we've been working on lately. Jason, it's good to have you back. Uh, oh, thank I'm, you. I'm glad you 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 survived. Yeah. What, uh, did you have to eat anybody while you no. were surrounded by while you were inundated with snow? Not quite. I had plenty. We had stocked up on food. But yeah, a wild week. I I was uh, snowed in for maybe a week or you know five days, and uh, four to six hours of blowing snow every day. Since uh, we all we have right now is a walk behind. But yeah, adventures in the Sierra. We, we ended up with about six feet where I live at, at about altitude of about five thousand feet. But yeah, whole adventure and. Uh, Got kind of worn out and then and finished it all up with some food poisoning on Friday. But hey, enough about me. Wow. That's a <laughs> way, to, way to put an exclamation mark at the end of being snowed in. Get food poisoning. That, yeah. was, an, that was a good twist, though. It was unexpected. So, yeah, it was a good literary technique there. It's all about how my life is so hard. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the storm has been intense, of course. We're, we'll be talking about the snowpack a little bit today. But yeah, we're at record levels and a very interesting time. Even uh, down in Grass Valley, you know, got a foot or so. So it kind of paralyzed the region. But hmm. people digging out some pretty spectacular photos and coverage from Tahoe, areas like that, which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. But um, yeah, what an adventure. Well, aside from snow adventures, what else do you have for for us this week? Yes, uh, back on the energy topics, I've got a some more details on the recent report on regionalizing the California Independent System Operator. That's from a workshop that Kaiso held last week. Then uh, some rate uh, hike increases from Sempra here in California that are causing some major some major consternation with uh, rate payers and customers. And then a little bit about a new tribal en banc meeting last week between some California agencies addressing tribal energy issues. Right. Well, and uh, let's see, I've got maybe talking about uh, Southwest Power Pool's latest uh, announcement with its Markets Plus proposal for a day ahead market for the West. Puget Sound right. Energy is pushing for some legislation to uh, to help it decarbonize, sort of. 
and mm-hmm. uh, and then an update on the snowpack in the Columbia Basin. So how about you okay. get us started uh, with Kaiso regionalization? What's the latest there? Yeah, this is our ongoing coverage of the, uh, I'm calling it a report because it really analyzed existing studies and research. This came from the California Assembly requesting the Kaiso uh, sort of review all the literature on regionalizing Kaiso. Last week, um, Kaiso held a workshop, and at that workshop, someone from the National Renewable Energy L- Laboratory, David Hurlbut, who is one of the authors of the report, took some questions and described kind of the approach and some of the feedback that they've gotten on this study. Some of the commenters have talked about um, why they didn't analyze more of the costs of regionalization, really focused on the benefits that really came from the the uh, PUC's uh, public advocate's office. And also people wanted more focus just on California, which is a very California way to look at things. But um, he sort of explained why it was important to look at other states also. And so pretty insightful. He talked about um, how regionalization is not a single step process, more an evolutionary process. The payback grows over time. You know, if you look at the energy imbalance market and the extended day ahead market initiatives, as people get more comfortable with these concepts and the participation grows, the confidence also increases and that in turn allows more cooperation, more ways to collaborate. Here's a quote from Mr. Horlbett. He said, there is a learning path for all parties for whatever form of regional cooperation we might be talking about. This is something that came out very clearly. He said, putting that whole body of literature together, that draft report from NREL was issued in January So the report found that more regional coordination would provide better grid resilience, uh, better uh, mitigation from extreme weather events and other outages, and would provide for less curtailment. Uh, Regionalization would also increase stakeholder participation, allow for more efficient use of the transmission system. Some commenters on the draft study said that NREL should have focused only on California but NREL d- declined to do so having, after having some internal discussions with the team, Western Balancing Authorities. He said uh, while there was a desire to focus on California, um, there's a really a need to understand what's at stake for other states, and that will help inform the legislature as they m- move forward with this. Also, uh, someone from the... Um, uh, Energy Division of the PUC, Catherine Stockton, at this workshop, said the CPUC is concerned about the risk to the Golden State and its utility repairs from any of the different options of regionalization. And then someone from the Public Advocate's Office, Kanya Dorland, said she wanted more analysis of the possible costs. She said, quote, something I thought was missing was an analysis of what you lose when you join an RTO. Mr. Hurlbut said that that's a good question. He said, he said they basically combed through the existing literature to see if they could tease that out, but the trade-offs are at a high level and there's really not a lot of analysis of this available. And there were some limitations here because this study was only on 
existing research, but that report will now go to the legislature and they will go from there. And speaking of regionalization, you've got some info for us about Markets Plus. Yeah, uh, Kaiso's competitor. So the Southwest Power Pool announced that it's markets plus proposal, which is it for which includes a day ahead market and an energy imbalance market, in addition to other market services, uh, is moving into the development phase, but a month ahead of schedule. So they had hoped to they had set a deadline of April first of getting enough, seeing if they had enough buy in of entities um, with you know, load serving entities who are willing to put money and time behind developing out this proposal. Uh, they got enough entities to sign on that at the beginning of March, they, they said, all right, we're moving forward. We're moving into the development phase to really flesh out the proposal that they released last December that sketched out mm-hmm. the kind of big pieces of and the structure of what they're proposing. So they're going to start with really fleshing out the governance structure, which is really one of the key selling points of their proposal, that this will be an independent uh, independently governed uh, market structure that is governed for and by the entities uh, who are participating. This yeah. is a, you know, it's part of this kind of Southwest power pools ethos of doing things, but also, I mean, frankly, it's a big selling point um, in terms of when they're competing against Kaiso, which as we know, uh, talk about regionalization in the past has Drawn, mm-hmm. we've seen reluctance from states outside California to cede authority in making energy policy decisions to uh, you know Sacramento. Two officials uh, <laughs> appointed in in California, and while the like the energy imbalance uh, market that the EIM Western EIM does have an independent board, it's still you know Kaiso is still a California controlled entity. So SPP certainly has been putting a lot of emphasis on. That independent governance um, sees it as a you know, something that's very appealing for potential potential participants. So right now uh, they've got uh, let's see the so Arizona Public Service, Bonneville Power Administration, Chelan County Public Utility District, PowerX, Puget Sound Energy, Salt River Project, and Tucson Electric Power have all committed to fund the first development phase uh, along with uh, NV Energy, which is the newest uh, entity to sign on. So they represent more than 250,000 gigawatts, uh, gigawatt hours of annual energy in the Western internet connection. And they've got Ooh. a combined peak demand of more than 40 gigawatts. So you have, uh, yeah. you know, those entities, their footprint stretches from British Columbia down to Arizona. Uh, not completely contiguous. Mm-hmm. And these entities are also all, I don't think any of them have committed completely to Markets Plus. They all are still weighing Kaiso's extended day ahead market offering. And several of them participate, if not all of them, I'd have to double check, but I, I would guess that all of them participate in the energy imbalance market run by Kaiso. But I yeah. Believe- uh, important step forward here though for SPP's markets plus yeah you look at this footprint here in in your graphic and uh, it is impressive you have you know the the governance issue as you said being such a big one 
I really feel like this gives SPP a little bit of momentum and the fact that they're a month ahead shows that they're pedal to the metal on this thing, wouldn't you say? Oh, certainly. Yeah. They, and they've, they've had, uh, they've expanded their, um, they brought some people on and created a new position. I forget the name of it. Uh, yeah, but they, they've made it clear that they're like, they, they've expanded their management to really have more people focused on these efforts. They're yeah. 100% in. I mean, and they, the SPP executives in the past have been completely candid that they see this as, you know, they, Hey, regional transmission organizations, fully organized markets, like what Kaiso has, that is what they believe in. That's what they run in the Eastern interconnection. And mm -hmm. they believe in markets plus in and of itself, but they're like, Hey, let me get you into markets plus, And then let me tell you about an RTO. Right. So, I mean, they would be more than happy to use this as a stepping stone to a fully integrated, uh, comprehensive energy market in the West. Sure. They Outside of California. Yeah, they've got the expertise and, you know, California with some, some baggage on that issue, to say the least. You know, it's been quite astounding to see this, this thing move so quickly. There you go. Yeah. So, of course, we'll be following future developments. Stay tuned. Uh, and in the meantime, so what's going on with rates down in California? I yes. can actually hear the the consternation all the way up here can in you? Seattle. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, this has, of course, been a big topic. There's a lot of outrage in California right now over retail rates. Sempra, of course, has two IOUs. Southern California Gas Company and San Diego Gas and Electric. They have filed with the PUC for a $3 billion combined rate increase and drew about 500 written comments. And uh, gosh, I think a couple hundred people signed up for this public hearing that we covered last week. Well, let's say 160 public speakers. That was on March 6th. You know, the typical complaints, people saying there's a record profit, CEO compensation. Uh, these two utilities have filed general rate applications with the CBC in May. They both each want double-digit percentage increases in their four-year revenue schedules. SoCal Gas wanted an increase of $738 million, which was a 20.2% increase for 2024 and then hundreds of millions in ensuing years. SDG&E wants to recover nearly 3 billion in 24, 2024 from its customers, increase in revenues of 449 million. So yeah, big chunks. These are going into uh, various things. I think wildfire mitigation, but people very unhappy has been an ongoing story. But uh, you know, the, PUC historically will trim these back, but I'm sure they will, you know, their rates will, will be increasing and sort of adding to the, the woes here in California when it comes to energy. And I know many people dealing with high electricity bills and heating bills right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know our, uh, uh, Greg Mason one of our reporters up here clearing up just had a story on PGE, Portland General Electric, just filed mm -hmm. a 14% rate increase. Uh, Vista's asked for double-digit rate increases, at least in Idaho. You know, yeah. Puget Sound Energy 
filed a double digit rate increase not too long ago. I think it was like 20% maybe. I'd have to go back and double check the story I wrote about it. But yeah, I mean, there have been some right. monster rate increases um, around here. And yeah. Yeah, certainly it's. But uh, speaking of PSE, so there's a uh, bill working its way through the Washington legislature that uh, just went to the Senate that it, basically the bill is says Puget Sound Energy will agree is backing this bill saying, hey, we will not hook up anybody else to our natural gas uh, utility come 2025, 2024. Um, but <laughs> we will back that. We won't fight that. Uh, a ban on that. Hmm. But on the other side of it, they want the bill to include a guaranteed ownership percentage of all the new generation capacity that has to be built for Puget Sound Energy to meet the state's 2030 uh, carbon emissions reductions mandates. So basically, they want it enshrined in law that they will be able to own these resources to get a rate of return on it. This is um, you know, getting a lot of support because it's a very ambitious decarbonization bill. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you've got a lot of people uh, feeling very, uh, a lot of concerns about this ownership carve out, uh, which Peaches Sound Energy, you know, they say, look, we're, we're willing to wind down one of our two, you know, we're natural gas and an electricity utility. We will wind down half of our business but we need some assurance. Right. Whereas, uh, you know, critics are saying this is just a market grab. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guaranteed profits are always nice. They are. (laughs) They are. They're the best kind of profits uh, if you're making them. But yeah, so that's in the Senate. Uh, There's still, everybody agrees there's more work to be done on the bill, but uh, it's certainly, it's got a lot of support to it. So we'll see how it ends up uh, in whatever version passes, which it sounds like it's likely some version of it will pass. We'll see. Was that, that your story there? You're covering that? That was. All right. Keep us posted. <laughs> you know, I will. Okay. So, uh, let's see. You've got a story about um, tribal. What actually, you know what? I don't know. I'm just going to let you tell it because I would okay. do a bad job of uh, That's trying to right. say what it is. So it's part of on bonk story. Yeah, I've noticed in our coverage, you know, more acknowledgement of tribal issues here in the West. Um, what happened this week was a, a new en banc um, where Native American tribal leaders and energy regulators came together in the first ever en banc to discuss energy problems, potential solutions. And an interesting story here from Ann Ernst, some emotion at this meeting from tribal leaders who obviously feel like they've been overlooked. Um, let's hear here's a quote from Brian McDonald, who is vice chair of, I'm not going to say this correctly, Chemo Huevi Indian Tribal Council said, quote, many people have been upset, have been enraged, have been hurt, and all the other things we can think about when it comes to matters under the purview of the PUC and the Energy Commission. Today I shed a tear, and that's never happened on an energy issue. CEC member Patty Monahan said she was, quote, ashamed of the, quote, horrific relationship, unquote, California's government has had with tribal communities and the lack of basic access to reliable electricity. So, yeah, a lot of emotion here. I think, you know, people feeling 
obviously in the tribal communities, they've been overlooked. So this is just one facet of that. And uh, some good quotes here. Uh, you can find it the article on newsdata.com. The CEC will just getting started on the issue. And then, um, you know, Joseph James of the Yurok Tribal Council said, bringing alternative energy to tribal communities is important, but the challenge is bigger than that. At the end, he said, uh, don't let this be the one time you come here. Come back again. So there we go. Tribal issues getting a little attention from state regulators, and it seems quite overdue for members of the tribal community. Yeah, certainly. Yep, and that's, uh, as I said, coverage from Ann Ernst of the Enbank last week. Well, the last story from the Northwest, after very dry January and February uh, through much, throughout much of the Northwest, forecasters are predicting lower than normal water supply for the Columbia Basin this summer. Currently, the forecasters expect water supply in the basin to be between 80 and 85% during the spring and summer when the runoff from melting snow uh, fills the rivers and fuels the Northwest's hydropower system. So my colleague, uh, Casey Mahaffey, had an update on the latest uh, report from the Northwest River Forecast Center. They do say there's a chance that if we get a really wet spring that could push levels to above normal. They don't expect it, though. So likelihood is that we will have a somewhat lower than normal water year, which is not uh, necessarily a problem, but it does mean that you know there's less flexibility in the hydropower system, and the region will probably have to lean more on markets, and certainly will have uh, likely less uh, surplus energy sales revenue. But we'll see. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a really wet spring, and we'll have more yeah. water than we know what to do with. But well, uh, I just saw that um, the Arizona. Uh, so, the Salt River Project, they had their snowpack is forcing them to do early releases from their reservoirs. Yeah, quite a different situation down here in California, of course. I think we're at uh, over 200% of our average for this time of year. and so, But we need that Northwest Hydro, so hopefully that'll bounce back. We'll do what we can. In the meantime, that's all for me, Dan Cashpole. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review uh, this podcast wherever you listen. Pass along to a friend. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at the catch poll and clearing up is at CU News Data. And I'm on Twitter at Ford and the Energy. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>